Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, as we come to this very moment, we come from so many different backgrounds and life experiences. We approach this story from so many perspectives and attitudes. We come with hope and joy. We come with despair and fear. We come with affluence and entertainment that makes us think maybe we don't need you after all because we've carved out a pretty good life for ourselves and we're weathering this current storm rather well. We come with poverty and scarcity, not knowing how we're going to pay our bills or take care of those most important to us. We come with faith. We come with doubt. We come with a mixture of all of these different dynamics at the same time. Help us to see that you see us in all of this, in all of our complexity and contradiction, in all the ways we have it together, in all the ways we feel like we're coming undone. And you know us. And your response to the messiness of our lives and this world is not to look and just say, yuck, and stay far away. But rather, you look on us with compassion. And you move toward us even now with sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray now that you do perhaps the most difficult thing of all. That you'd convince us that you love us this much. That you are closer to us than the air we breathe. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Whenever I read this passage, I remember this time with my son Levi that had to do with hunger. When we lived in San Francisco and Levi was in preschool, 
I used to take off Friday mornings. You know, one of the perks of being a pastor is I, I have just a weird schedule. I work a lot of hours in the week, but I work flexible hours during the week. And I would take off Friday mornings with my four-year-old son, Levi. And we would ride the trains of the Bay Area. We, he became a master of knowing the entire map of the Muni Metro in San Francisco, of knowing the entire BART network for the Bay Area, and of knowing Caltrain as well. And if you're from the Bay Area, you know all three of those systems, and they're complex, and they go on forever. He would give advice to tourists of what stop they should take for the best meal. And I remember this one time, it was, I think it was in April, and he's wearing a ninja costume in April from last Halloween, as one does. And I think it had already grown too small for him. So this ninja costume that actually looked like it was capri pants because they didn't go all the way down to his shoes. And Florence had made him this really nice lunch in his lunchbox, and she did each Friday. And we're heading down to San Jose, the end of the line. We get down there. We're standing on the platform at Diridon train station. And Levi's standing in his ninja outfit, holding his little lunchbox, and it's hot outside, and he says, Daddy, I'm starving. And I'm seeing this as a teachable moment as a parent to teach him what starving means. And I say, Son, you're not starving. You're hungry. Starving is when you're hungry, but you don't know when you're going to eat again. And he says, Yeah, Dad, I'm starving. And I said, Levi, how could you be starving? You're holding your lunch in your hand. He said, I know, and I don't know when I'm going to eat it next. I'm starving. Our passage today deals with a crowd. It says 5,000 men besides women and children. This was an ancient way, unfortunately, of counting households. They would just count the men. You could imagine the women and children would be there as well. So this may be a crowd of 15,000 people, of 20,000 people. And they're hungry. They don't know when they're going to eat next. They're starving. This story is the only miracle besides Jesus' resurrection that is told in all four of the Gospels. And I think one of the reasons is you just have so many eyewitnesses that experienced it. You had thousands of people going on and on talking about Jesus, the great rabbi who not only loved and could forgive, he could feed a city of people. So many eyewitnesses. But I think it was told in all four Gospels also because it's an experience to which we can all relate what it's like to be hungry. And today we look at the problem, the solution, and the invitation. The problem is you have to admit your hunger, and that's not easy for us. The solution is you see how he feeds you. And the invitation is not only to feast on him, but then to join him in mission to feed others. Okay? First, let's look at the problem. You have to admit your hunger. In this passage, their physical hunger stands in as a metaphor and a picture of our deeper hungers. We're hungry in our career for the next promotion, for the next raise. In this global coronavirus pandemic, we are hungry just to hold on to our career. We're hungry for a work day where we can put together five thoughts in a row without being interrupted by other people in our home. 
Or if you live alone during sheltering in place, you're hungry for community and for connection. We're hungry for relationships and we're hungry for status. Are you aware of how the hunger in your life right now is driving all sorts of behaviors and patterns, many of which could become exhausting or producing anxiety in your life? Many of us hunger for the anxiety to go away. And the very ways that we cope with the anxiety is producing more of it. We run to addictions. We run to more. More of what? I don't know. Whatever you got. How much do you got? I want more. More work. More eating. More drinking. More anything. Just more. And we're hungry. But it doesn't fulfill the need. In this season, we hunger for many good things. I mentioned we went for a prayer walk for peace this week. We left from the front of the church, walking out together on University and 30th Street in the heart of North Park, right here. And we stopped in front of my barber's place, who is really working hard to make ends meet during this pandemic. She hungers for economic stability. Maybe that's one of your hungers today. We stopped at a mural of George Floyd that reminded us of our hunger for racial equality and racial justice. We hunger for so many things. What do you hunger for? Are you aware that underneath all the frantic running around and achieving and striving purchasing and running, there's actually a deeper hunger. Two indicators could be, where do you spend your time the most? And where do you spend your money? Many theologians have said, your calendar and your bank account are actually spiritual documents because they reveal what's most important to you. If you look at where you spend your time and where you spend your money, what does it say about what you're hungering for and about what you're filling yourself with? And I ask you, is it working for you? What do you think about right before you fall asleep at night? What's on your mind when you wake up first thing in the morning? These are all indicators of our deeper hunger. And may I suggest... Jesus emphatically proclaims that under all these hungers, there's actually this deeper hunger. This longing for what we might call the kingdom of God, where every tear is wiped from every eye, every injustice is done away with, everybody has enough. And he would say, that's not just a pipe dream in the future. That's not merely the opiate of the masses to distract you and have you think about something better in the future. That's actually the reality to which your heart and soul are tuned. That's the reality for which you're created. But you have to get in touch with your deeper hunger. Admit your hunger. And then see how he feeds you. See how he feeds this crowd right here. In verse 14 it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and cured their sick. 
Okay? Earlier than that, in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. Okay? So let's put that together. What did Jesus hear before he went off by himself? If you go back to the passage right before this, you will learn that Jesus has just heard that his cousin, his friend, his colleague, John the Baptist, has been murdered by Herod. He is in deep grief. He is deeply disturbed. When he had heard that his cousin had been murdered, he withdrew from there in a boat to go to a deserted place by himself. Think about a time when you were in deep grief and sorrow. Isn't there a major part of you that just wants to get off to be by yourself? Maybe you went to a chapel or a church sanctuary like this to pray and reflect, and you found out there was actually a wedding party going on, and you couldn't be by yourself. Maybe you went to your favorite spot at the beach to watch the waves and be overwhelmed by the power of the sea, but you couldn't find a spot in the sand because there's so many tourists there. You just can't be by yourself. You went to your favorite hiking trail to look out on the mountains, and yet all the happy hikers around you just didn't carry the same tune you were feeling in your life at that moment. And all you want to do is scream, will you please just leave me alone? Jesus is in great grief and goes to great lengths to get off to a place by himself. But the crowds heard it and they followed him. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. But instead of screaming, leave me alone, he saw them. And he had great compassion on them. Does that surprise you? What does that tell you about the character of Jesus? First of all, that he sees you. He is not too busy to be bothered by the details of your life. He's not too overwhelmed managing the complex details of the cosmos to zero in and focus in and see you in your particular questions, in your particular despair, in your particular pain. He sees you. And he has compassion on you. He pours himself out on this crowd. He pours himself out for you. Here, it says that he cured their sick. Elsewhere, and when Mark tells the story, the gospel writer Mark, it says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He is healing their bodies and teaching them the good news of the kingdom of God and how to be reunited with God. This is word and deed. He cares for your spiritual alienation that you would be connected to God, reunited with God, animated as God breathes God's very life into you right now, and he cares about your body. He cares about the physical aspects of this life. Jesus is not too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. In fact, he would say, I made it all. I'm out to redeem it all. And when I see any of it broken, I move toward it with compassion. He sees you. He moves toward you with compassion. He moves toward you with word and deed. You know, often churches and even denominations get caught up and split trying to, trying to ask the question, what's more important? The spiritual things or the physical things? 
And it goes like this. You know, one will say, well, the spiritual is more important because it's eternal. So we need to preach the gospel and forgiveness of sins and have people commit themselves to Christ and be forgiven and united with God. And we'll take care of the physical stuff if we get around to it. And then the other side will say, no, 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 no. They can't hear your words if their stomachs are grumbling and growling because they're so hungry. We need to take care of the physical needs first, and then we'll address the spiritual needs. And Jesus always comes and says, it's both and. This is why at Renew Church, on Wednesday night, we had a prayer walk for peace where we are praying spiritually for the needs of this world. And then Saturday morning, we have our Know Your Neighbor event right here where we put our prayers into action and feed all our hungry neighbors. It's both and. He sees you. He has compassion on you. He cares for your mind, your body, and your soul. You want to see how else he feeds you? Abundantly. Abundantly. Overflowing. In verse 20, it says, After all these people had eaten, all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And he wa- then he wants to make sure you know, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. First of all, I love that there was an economist in the crowd counting people. And I love that he was detailed, or she was detailed, and said, just so you know, it was 5,000 men plus women and children. Let's think 15, 20,000 people. We had 12 baskets left over. What's the point? Jesus didn't just barely give everyone a snack. He fed them till they were full, and then they had plenty extra left over. This completes what we read in the Old Testament when Moses is leading The people of God through the wilderness and God provides manna from heaven, food, but it was always just enough for that day. You couldn't store it up. You couldn't save it for the future. There weren't leftovers, just enough for today. And Jesus said, the one who Moses pointed to is here now. And when I feed you, you're full and you have 12 baskets left over. It is abundant and overflowing. So let me ask you, When you think about what it means to be a Christian, to turn over your life and your will to the care of God, do you think that it means, you know, if I become a Christian and I follow Jesus, it means I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do all these things that I really like to do. It'll probably be dull and not exciting, but at least I'll have heaven to look forward to when I die. Hear Jesus say, that's not the case. I came to bring a feast, and the invitation is to let him fill you, to come to him, to feast on him, to keep returning to him again and again and again. This is why we come around this table every week, because he continues to nourish us and fuel us and send us out into this world, which brings us to our third point. We've seen that we're called to admit our hunger to see how he feeds you, and then to join him in mission to feed others. This is the great invitation. Now, first of all, we have to ask, what is the mission to which he calls us? And many theologians and scholars will say that these miracles are actually signs. They're clues pointed to what his mission is. Jesus feeds this multitude a sign of his kingdom that will completely shape the way you live here and now. 
You see, the point of Jesus' miracles was not simply to display his raw power. The signs always point toward his identity, his kingdom, his healing, his restoration. See, if he just wanted to show his raw power, there are a lot more captivating and fascinating ways to do that. Many of you are artists. You can think of other ways to do this. Some of you are in marketing. There are many other marketing and ad campaigns you could do beyond feeding a bunch of people or healing somebody who's crippled. I mean, if he really wanted to show his raw power as the one through whom all things were created, I'm sure he could levitate. He could lift off like Iron Man, do a few loops around the Sea of Galilee, land, show his sleeves and show there's nothing up there, and then craft a fireball in his hands and then say, watch this. Straight to a tree and the tree is incinerated. There are a thousand ways he could have shown his raw power if he just wanted to show off. But he's not using his miracles to show his raw power, but rather what he came to do with that power. Here's what it tells us. The miracles show us that he came to deal with suffering. That Jesus doesn't like suffering and disease and hunger and poverty and injustice any more than you or I do, and he's doing something about it. I mean, let's look at his miracles. He feeds someone who's hungry. He heals someone who's sick. He opens the eyes of the blind. He raises the dead. If the miracles of Jesus are the signs of his identity as the king and signs of what it's like to live in his kingdom. Let me ask you, what kind of king do you think Jesus is? What does it look like to live in his kingdom right now? What does it look like for you and for this church to be signposts of that kingdom in this very world? Hungry people who get in touch with our deeper hunger, who allow him to feed us with his compassion, with his care, with his word, with his deed, abundantly, and then we don't hold it just for ourselves, but rather we reflect that care out into this world. Maybe it begins with seeing others around us. In times of great calamity and difficulty like this pandemic we're all going through right now, it is tempting to give in to the default cocoon drive of looking after ourselves first. What does it look like for you to see others around you? To check in on a neighbor? To text somebody you haven't talked to in a while and make sure they're doing okay? Next time you go outside your home, ask yourself, Who am I tempted to not see right now and allow God to show you? And then we go one step further. We see people with compassion. That word compassion actually comes from two words, calm, which is with, and passion, which means suffering, to to suffer alongside other people. It's not just to see the suffering of others, it's to join them and to move toward their pain points in such a way that their suffering becomes your suffering. You feel what they're going through. Many of you have been doing that already, especially in this season. It's the more costly way. It's the more weighty way to live. 
but it's also the more deeply rewarding way as we live into what it means to be truly human. You know what else it means? And this is scary. It means you give all you have. To be a Christian means to let Jesus fill you up and then you pour yourself out just as he did. Notice in this scene, there is this dramatic moment that we can just fly right over if we don't pause and notice it. There are thousands of people out here in the middle of nowhere with no restaurant and no Postmates and no Uber Eats. No one's going to eat. And at least the disciples have access to a little bit of bread and a couple fish. I mean, at least they could have huddled together and had a snack. But instead, they gave everything they had. They were ready to go hungry with the crowd in order to see what Jesus would do next. In verse 19, it says, and Jesus took it. That might be the scariest verse of the whole passage. They offered all they have, and Jesus took it. Now, reading it, Completely through the story, on this side of his life, death, and resurrection, we see this is the greatest arrangement of all. In exchange for a few loaves and a couple fish, you get 12 baskets left over and a feast that you can't get the bottom of. But in that very moment, they were giving up everything they had. See, following Jesus always gives far more life, far more depth, more connection, more meaning, more hope, more joy, and... It's at a far higher cost. It will cost you your life. And in it, you will find life. They gave all they had, and they were met with a feast they could never have imagined. As they do this, and as you and I do this, you begin to come to the end of yourself. You come to the end of your resources. And it feels like death. And Jesus says, it's okay. I won't let you go. I mean, notice what's happening in this passage. I love the disciples. I don't know where you see yourself in this passage. If you're part of the hungry crowd, if you're part of the disciples who are well-intentioned, who don't really get it, if maybe you're the person in the back accounting and calling, counting out all the baskets of things that are left over. But the disciples, they're starting to pick up on Jesus' character. They see all the hungry people. They care. They say, Jesus, we need to do something about this. And Jesus throws it right back to them. You do something about this. And they say, we can't. We don't have enough. If we gave everything we had, we wouldn't scratch the surface. Jesus says, well, why don't you just give me what you got? And he provides it. Blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them to give back out to the others. You come to the end of your resources and it feels like death. And Jesus says, it's okay. I've done more with less. Bring me what you have. See, this is what our friends in recovery and the 12-step programs have already figured out and share with us. That first step to admit that you're powerless and your life has become unmanageable is actually the first step to realizing the power of God in your life and to sharing it with others. I would suggest to you and to myself, because friends, listen, I need to hear this as much as I need to say it. Maybe this is one of the opportunities of this pandemic season 
that it is upfront in a way that we cannot hide from our limitations. We can't snap our fingers and make everything change and go away. There's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of patience. There's a lot of leaning on one another. There's a lot of prayers of, God, I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. I need you to catch me. I want you to look at the way he cares for you and hear him say, I am with you now. I see you with compassion. I will not let you fall. I will be with you always. Friends, when you see that, you can have buoyancy in the midst of a great storm. You can have resiliency when it feels like everything is moving and shaking around you. You can have hope in the midst of uncertainty. You have a new basis for meaning altogether. Now, how do we do this? And I'll leave you with this thought. How do we admit our hunger without getting defeated by it? How do we have the courage to see that he feeds us and then actually trust him and turn our lives over to him? How do we join him in mission and pour ourselves out on behalf of others? Here's how we do it. See that he always goes first. He always feeds you before he calls you to feed anybody else. In fact, elsewhere he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever comes to me will never thirst. He feeds us. He feeds us with bread. But beyond that, he feeds us with himself. See, in verse 19, he ordered the crowns to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And then they gave them to the crowns. We will hear these very words echoed again in the Last Supper when Jesus takes bread, looks up to heaven, blesses it, breaks it, and then gives it away. He feeds you and he nourishes you with himself. This then becomes the pattern of the Christian life to be taken and blessed and broken and given out for the good of the world. And we can do it because he is the Lord of the feast. Friends, may you get in touch with your deep hunger now. May you see that he fills you with compassion abundantly. And may you have eyes to see the ways that you can become a part of that great mission to feed and care for others. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now, as we identify with those hungry people on that hillside, would you please, with the resources that you have given us and poured out in this world, would you feed us and nourish us. Would you bless us and send us out to bless others? We pray all these things in your name. Amen.